Welcome to another episode of Boss Barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. And I'm Jasper Wild. Ooh, that was snazzy. <laughs> I liked that. <laughs> uh, so today, we are going to read some emails that we've gotten from you guys. So you have answered our calls to write, email, talk to us on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you. And yes, thank you for giving us so much good feedback. We've gotten a lot of really positive feedback and we've gotten a lot of questions too. So we're actually just, you're just going to drive right into it. Yeah. So Jasper, do you want to read um, an email that we got from Jason Reed Miller of Mazarine Coffee? Yes. What a great guy Jason Reed Miller is. Dear Abouses, I'm just listening to Ambitious. Uh, and I thought of a question. It's mentioning towards the end that identifying privilege does not make you the enemy, but it makes you more powerful to spur change. It was also implied earlier in the cast, and I've learned that it is best not to speak for groups of which you're not a part of. As a privileged white male, I was curious if you could shed some light on the two concepts that seem like they could potentially conflict. Could you please recommend a few fundamental ways in which a white male can appropriately get involved? First two things that come to mind are self-education through reading a conversation and attending rallies and protests in support. Thanks for your help. Jason, that was a great email. Thank you, Thank Jason. Thank you for reaching out to us. And we want to talk a lot about this because there's so many ways that you can help. And I think you have identified two incredibly important ways to help. Yes. Number one, self-education. But what does that entail, Jasper? So that entails, um, it's basically like looking at the things that you're reading and listening to and making sure that you have voices in there that a person of color has written or women have written or queer people have written. Um, I'm thinking about like articles or like Instagram pages, um, things like that. That That's going to be a huge one. So you're not necessarily going to get educated if you don't specifically seek those out because they might just not fall into your lap. Right. So finding people who have a different voice than maybe yours or ones that you're used to listening to is really important. So looking at the writers of things, looking at different websites um, and making sure that your sources are really buried um, as opposed to it's even just like that in politics, like mm -hmm. making sure that you read both sides and step outside of what you normally read. Mm hmm. Um, and also listening to the stories that people tell you. So self-education also really involves having a keen ear for what experiences people are willing to share with you. Because so often, as we talked about in our last podcast, people share their experiences and people immediately want to respond in the negative and say, like, these are not real or these are not what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. um, and then Jason mentions a second topic of, um, attending rallies. Yeah. So wait, before we go on to yeah, that one, um, I want to like mention, so even though we consider ourselves feminist and, you know, we're like advocating for others, it, it really doesn't help if we're advocating for others and we don't actually know what they need or, or what they, yes, what they like, what they actually need. So for instance, um, there was this, uh, there was this article going around and I read it and it was basically like, um, I'm a black woman and I wrote down every specific instance of microaggression I faced for two weeks. And so I'm reading the article and she's citing these little microaggressions and I'm noticing most of them, like 70% are white people trying to touch your hair. And of course, I know that that's like a thing. And I know that that's like one little racist microaggression that many, many people do. And in fact, like Brianna Walker had mentioned that in her episode, but I didn't know that that microaggression. And of course that was just like one person's remarks, but that kind of like shined a light for me. Like, wow, this one is a particularly big one that not everybody knows is not okay. So for me, that helps me maybe like intercept situations or call out behaviors that I see other white or non-black people of color doing. Um, because now I know 
that that's a bigger problem than I thought it was. But I would not have known that if I had not read this article that she had posted. I mean, even just to like get even more simplistic, like I don't, I didn't understand a lot of the terms that were being, so Jasper posted this like really amazing like Venn diagram of different things you can kind of be in the fight against like racism and sexism in our industry. Like you can be like, a male like advocate or you could be like a female like white feminist or you could be like there's all these different like kind of terms yeah. and and spheres you can inhabit it was like examining the role of white feminism in the greater conversation of intersectional feminism and how you could be just because you're a white person doesn't mean you're a white feminist and just because you're a person of color doesn't mean you're an intersectional feminist right and that's nuts. <laughs> right. No, that was crazy. And that was something that I didn't understand all of the different layers of how feminism works. I never, I've never read the term womanist either. And <gasps> really? How, no. And how like so much of the feminist movement has been so exclusionary towards mm-hmm. women of color that so many of them reject the idea of feminism because it doesn't include them. So the idea of like womanist is 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 another term that one can use to kind of talk about fighting for feminist issues and really fighting for equality, but still rallying against this, like, you know, feminism as like a white woman, white middle-class woman. I think womanist originated or at least became popular in the seventies when the second wave feminism was like really up and running. And mostly that was like white women who were lightweight or heavyweight racist and then womanist was the word that black women would use when they were um like with the black panthers or as a part of the civil rights wing but they were distinctly different because they were talking about gender issues Mm -hmm. and self-education i think also involves asking questions of people who know better than you so being and being able to recognize that you might not always have the right answers so if you feel like you're in a position like being a white male or being a white female or being like a a man of color or anything that like anything where there are issues perhaps that you don't understand it's okay to ask questions and to find people that can help you kind of illuminate what's going on like jason is doing right now Mm because that's what we're that's what ideally we're here for um in the limited capacity that we can do it that being said too not everyone owes you an answer and not everyone has to help you because that is emotional labor yeah that's why i don't necessarily always want to like talk to my friends who are different from me to make them do the work like i will make sure that my for me my facebook feed and my instagram feed specifically have um groups of people that are activists on there because they've already signed up to do the work. That's <laughs> so a good they're point. already teaching me on purpose. Like that's their that's work. That's what they're there for. Yeah. And that's kind of like us. Like we are doing the work. That's what we've signed up for. So that's why we're, I mean, this whole podcast is a lot of emotional labor, but we're into it because right. we, we want to do it. it. <laughs> so, so go to the people who have already signed up and who are already spoon feeding you the, the, um, the best way to advocate for them. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So then the second point that Jason made is Mm -hmm. showing up for rallies and protests. Yes. um, Which is super key. Yes. You can say that you are accepting of different genders and races and all that, but if you don't show up to help advocate for it, Mm -hmm. then it's, it's not meaningless, Mm -hmm. but it's not as meaningful. Yeah. So in our last episode, we were talking about how, for a lot of feminist issues, we kind of need men to show up. Yeah. Um, and we be, do. And because if you're combating a person who's practicing sexist or racist or gendered behaviors, oftentimes they need to hear it from someone else yeah. that is of the group that they identify with, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate, but it's all, it's all in like the steps to get to where we want people to be. So sometimes like, 18 women saying like, Hey, this is wrong. Might not land as heavily as like one man, which sucks. Mm -hmm. It sucks that that's true, but it's also, it's also necessary. And it's also less emotional labor for you than it is for like women who are constantly doing it every day. Yeah. So shouldering some of that emotional burden is also really helpful too. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what are there's some other- not necessarily like coffee protests and rallies, but if there were, go uh, and I'll run it. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> we should have one. Wait, that's a good idea. That Jason, is a good idea. <laughs> you come on board and we'll three of us start a protest. That would be awesome. We should definitely um, do that. What are some other ways that people can help? So we know Jason, um, he works at Mazarine. He is their director of operations. So I'm thinking specifically about someone like Jason. Mm-hmm. How can he help? Um, okay. So I think the first like step one is like read and listen to other people. And then step two is when you, when you feel like you have some understanding of an issue um, to like start to do some of the work yourself. So for instance, if you are a white person and you are like reading everything you can about diversity in the coffee industry, and then you see like an article pop up or you like hear a conversation with somebody else who is maybe like disagreeing, it's on you to advocate for other people. Mm-hmm. So I one thing I liked about Jason's um, email was he, he was recognizing that his place as a white man, he's already, um, like most white men take up too much space in whatever zone they're in and they get too much airtime or too much listen time. So it can be a little difficult because it's like, well, I'm not going to like shut up and not say anything. I still want to help and be a part. So what you can do is use your voice and use your space to echo those around you. Mm -hmm. Um, Because honestly, your privilege in the conversation will like kind of hit home. It'll drive it in deeper. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. You can help build up and... um, I guess amplify there. That's yeah. the amplify the voices of people who are saying things uh-huh. and just say like, just be another voice um, for someone who maybe works in the cafe. I think a lot about how you handle like microaggressions for your staff members. Mm-hmm. So if a staff member is being like talked down to by a customer, maybe, maybe they don't feel like they have enough agency to say something, but you do. So saying like, Hey, like the way that you spoke to, my barista was inappropriate or like actually like this person knows way more about coffee than I do. Cause that happens a lot where men will ask other men mm. about expertise. Yeah. So like defaulting to the man when like they have a coffee question yeah. or something like that. And that's, that's a really easy thing to do. Like, Hey, yeah. actually I don't know that much about this or like, you know, like that person there is the person you want to ask because so-and-so is a great barista and they know way more and can explain it way better. Yeah. Um, and I think thinking about hiring standards too, like if you have a cafe, that's like all one type of person, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually talked about this a little bit earlier. Liz Dean, who got a gold star last week, um, <laughs> wrote a really great article about hiring for diversity. So read stuff like that and think about ways that you can make your environment more diverse and bring more people into the conversation. Um, and that also lends to like promotions or sending people to barista camp or to different SCA events. Uh, who's going to compete on behalf of your company? You? Maybe you've done it five or six times. Maybe it's someone else's turn in your in your cafe because you have the power to help bring those people up. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of bringing those two points together that can kind of seem like they don't go together, that listening listening to people's experiences and maybe not speaking on their behalf is appropriate at all times, which it's not. It's not appropriate. But at the same time, using your power to really elevate others. I think those two concepts can go together if you think critically about the structures around you and how you can empower others. Yeah. Something else I want to bring up is that it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful if you recognize your privilege and then you want to add that privilege to fight for a cause that is needing help. While you're in there fighting, please do not derail the conversation about you and about how good of an ally you are. Like, don't talk about it. Show. Um, and the, sh- the showing is 
backing people up when there's like when the conversation is going to something like diversity or discrimination in any way your voice like counts a lot so if you see something like i'm thinking about the facebook thread that we talked about last week that was horrendous and like so many people so many men started jumping on after the women were doing so much of the work that's what you do that is like what a real ally does and it doesn't say like i'm in here and i'm a man and i love women it's saying like these are the people who know more than you or you have to be listening to them or you know sometimes rephrasing what somebody else has said and just saying it again will get a person to listen Right. And acknowledging, too, that the, you know, someone else kind of said it, too. Like, as so-and-so put, but for some reason, maybe you're not listening to (laughs) X, Y, and Z. Or, hey, like, all of these women are telling you this thing, and you should listen to them. Um, Using your power for for good is, is completely appropriate. And that's what we want people to really recognize, is that their power is not shameful, It's not something you should feel guilty about if you utilize it in a way that helps others also be strong and gain power as well. Mm -hmm. So thank you for thank you for that email, Jason, because that's meaningful to us that there are white men who are listening to this who feel that they want to do more. Yeah. And they're not sure how to. And that's okay. Yeah. Like ask questions. That's so important. I think I think you a hundred percent hit it on the head that like identify the people who are willing to do the work, like Mm us or like other activists Mm -hmm. on social media and ask them questions. Mm -hmm. Um, We have some other emails. Uh, We actually got a comment from Amanda Amato. She is great. She works at Sweet Maria's. And she wrote us a comment about our last episode where we talked about privileges. Not our last episode, maybe a couple episodes back. So we talked about some of the privileges that we inhabit. And I think... So as I was coming over to Jasper's house, I was re-listening to the episode and I thought, oh my God, there's so much stuff we didn't talk about. Um, Not to say that we could talk about everything. Obviously we couldn't, but there are a lot of things that we kind of just glossed over. Like, I don't think we talked about um, racial discrimination at all enough. Um, And we're going to talk about that in another episode. Um, But Amanda writes to us, um, I've really been enjoying your podcast and I appreciate all your hard work in making it an intersectional podcast. It's been a long time since I was a barista, but as a woman in coffee, your podcast really resonates with me still. I know that there isn't time to mention every privilege that a person could possibly have, but I was hoping you'd mention health slash ability. I admit that's something I have overlooked when thinking about privilege, but it seems applicable since being a barista is ultimately a physical job. Mental health is also a big privilege. Sometimes the invisible struggle of getting out of bed is a huge accomplishment, and there isn't a lot of bandwidth for more. Just my two cents. Thank you so much for putting together such a great podcast, Peak of the Work. She's so right. She's 100% right. We didn't talk at all about ableism and we didn't talk a lot. We didn't talk at all about mental health. Mm-hmm. So that's an episode that we were going to do. We actually did and it didn't sound good. <laughs> I mean, quality wise. Um, we did it over a Skype interview and our editor, Nate, was like, you can't you can't hear this. It doesn't <laughs> sound good. So because you just can't hear any of us at all. What do you think, Jasper? I think that Amanda's totally right. There's definitely this kind of um, pervasive idea that you should be able to do certain tasks or that you should have uh, the capacity to be on and nice and provide great service for eight hours, um, which is challenging whether or not you have a mental illness. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's disability has so many layers to it. I was talking to my to my friend about it earlier today where we were talking about disability is now like some people are now including mental illness in disability and how that is disability is like the umbrella term and underneath that there can be people with physical disabilities or people with mental disabilities. So yeah, let's let's talk about it. I think I want I I honestly want to learn more because I wonder about 
things like learning disabilities or dyslexia or like reading challenges, you know, are our POS systems helpful in that? Or are we making it harder? Like, I think that just, um, to get better at this stuff, we might need to have more people kind of, you know, raise their hand to be like, I have this thing and it is more challenging for me to work in the coffee industry because I have this thing. And then we can be like, oh no, <laughs> what do you have? And like, how can we like help rearrange our structures so that we can include you? Right. But are we even attracting those people to begin with? And if so, what can we do to make sure that we're widening the spectrum of people that we're asking to work in our industry. Cause we do that a lot with gender. We do that a lot with race mm, where right. we're, I you're mean, right. on our podcast, at least um, it's still not being done enough where we're saying like, if these people aren't applying for jobs, what can we do to be better about drawing in people who maybe have like, you know, a learning disability or mm-hmm. have a mental health issue is our language being clear that we will do whatever it takes to make this work? And are we attracting people in the right ways? So even taking a step backwards and saying like, what can we do to be more inclusive just on the very first level of hiring Mm -hmm. and looking for people to fill the roles in our coffee shops? I don't know. Mental health is one of those things too. So I want to, I want to talk about both. I want to talk about ableism because that's like, I think a huge issue in coffee that I, I have no idea how to circumvent with the nature of the like of barista work but with mental health that's one where because you would never go to like your employer and be like i have a broken leg and expect them to fix it so for mm-hmm. an employer to claim that they accept people with mental health issues is one of those things that i also find kind of dangerous not to say that they shouldn't but to claim it and not think about the resources that they should draw on, like talking to doctors or talking to psychiatrists about Mm -hmm. how to create structures within their cafes that will tailor to that. Mm -hmm. Because that's something I see a lot where people want to be open to like people with anxiety disorders or people with, you know, ADHD or people with depression or some sort of um, mental health disorder with like schizophrenia and stuff. And it's like, we can say like, yes, we're so accepting, but those are medical conditions that like, we also need to make sure that we're consulting people who are experts on that because we have no idea how to deal with those things. Like I would never claim that I could fix your broken arm. So why Mm -hmm. would I claim that I could help you with, you know, if you're having an anxiety issue Mm -hmm. on the floor, Mm -hmm. I can try and I can listen to you tell me what you might need, but maybe you don't know what you need either. I wouldn't yeah. know how to fix my own broken arm. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm just saying that like yeah. there are things that we can do to be better at that. And I always, I'm always wary when people are like, we're so accepting of people with all types of like everything. And it's like, well, what are we actually actively doing to make that a safe environment for someone? Mm-hmm. Especially if we don't understand anxiety. Like, do you understand what triggers an anxiety attack for this person? Do you understand what depression looks like on a day-to-day basis? Do you understand that like when you have an employee who maybe has an outburst, that might be a reaction to some sort of issue that they're having? Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with that? Because that was something that I've seen in other in other businesses too is like people dealing with people who have mental health issues and not taking and taking things like at face value and being like, you know, and being like, Oh, this person's doing this. So this must mean that. And you're like, no, this person is maybe perhaps like having an anxiety attack or maybe having this happen to them. So like, are you actually sensitive to it? I don't know. Yeah. I think our cafes and managers need more training Mm -hmm. on mental health And I think we should have like kind of a baseline system because something like mental health, it's, it's complex and it's not like a yes or no thing. It might be like a spectrum for people, or it might be like some people are maybe a little bit more prone to anxiety. And I don't necessarily think that everybody needs to like do this big over the top uh, disclosure unless they feel like that's what they need to get the the assistance that they want but it would be great to have like a standard of you know what to look for when 
someone is experiencing very high anxiety and how to help a person when they are in that state. Um, what tasks are maybe like a little bit better suited for that. So like, let's say someone's experiencing anxiety and not the normal like, oh, it's stressful on bar anxiety, but something that's like acute and like needs to be dealt with in a particular way. If we had like the system where we could be like, oh, I'm recognizing that you're having anxiety. I'm not putting you in the position where you have to come to me. And then you can be like, hey, I'm noticing that you're like, you know, you're shaking or um, your face is looking pale or you haven't had a break in three hours. Like, what would make you feel best at this time? Right. Because that's definitely something to think about is that a lot of people who maybe have a mental health issue probably don't feel comfortable disclosing it. And that's okay. So how do we recognize not... Obviously, we can't be like, this person has an anxiety disorder. Or, this person oh, has yeah. this. But like everyone experiences anxiety. Everyone experiences yeah. depression. So how do we equip ourselves without like making a hullabaloo about <laughs> it? Um, how do we recognize that in people? So that's something, that's something that I work really hard on is recognizing when people are having a bad day versus when people are in a pattern of a certain behavior. Which is so, so difficult. Are you looking for Taylor Brown's talk? On tamper tantrums? Yes. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> so Taylor Brown gives an awesome talk on tamper tantrum. Um, it's something that like completely just changed the way that I view mental health and like self-care in the coffee industry. Um, definitely look it up. It's on Tamper Tantrum's website. Tamper Tantrum is like a series of talks and podcasts and events where people talk about Really cool things in coffee that are really important. Is um, it Coffee, I Love You, But You're Bringing yes, Me Down? Yes, it's Coffee, I Love You, But You're Bringing Me Down by Taylor Brown. Um, she works for, oh, what's her company called? That might be outdated because yeah. I think she works somewhere else. Oh, okay. But she's a this roaster. This was posted last July. Yeah. Anyway, check that talk out if you want to learn more about mental health and how you can be a better ally and advocate for people um, who have mental health issues and just... Because being a barista is exhausting. So everyone experiences some form mm -hmm. of anxiety or feeling overworked or feeling emotionally drained. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to talk about ableism too. Yeah. Okay. So I'm thinking about some like concrete tips that could help with ableism and that or yeah, with ableism in the coffee industry. And that's making sure your workspaces are accessible to people with disabilities so what i'm thinking is making sure your things can be adjusted like maybe like counters you can like bring a little uh like what's it called like a step stool, stool. something for tamping or things like that or well, something that we talked about like when we were even just thinking about this podcast was ableism for our customers yeah. Which is a big deal. So I'm even thinking about That's like your true. condiment cart. Like how high is it? Can every customer reach the lids? Um, can every customer like grab onto their drink? Okay. Can every customer get in and out of your cafe? Yeah. Or like thinking about your bar setup. Mm -hmm. If you have like a fully like – if you're a barista and perhaps you have like – a wheelchair or if you have a cane or if you have any issues with mobility like a bar where you have to like go under like it doesn't move like there's no like entrance that you wouldn't have to duck down oh you know yeah what i'm saying yeah like i've worked in a lot of cafes where you have to like basically be like a gymnast <laughs> to get around <laughs> yeah and you're just like this is crazy like yeah. things need to slide uh -huh. or things need to like have entrance ways that are like really easily accessible or things just need to move around, or even just like the width of cafes. Um, one of my very first coffee jobs, I worked with this wonderful, amazing guy. He was the night manager, but he was um, he was overweight, and he said one of the big problems with working at that cafe was that like everything was so narrow, hmm. and it was really and where the bar was, like mm -hmm. where our actual bar was, was super narrow, so it was actually really difficult for him to do to be on the bar. So he was on the register a lot. Oh. Um, and that was something that like always felt 
strange. I was like, oh, but you're a great barista. Like, yeah. this is not fair. Yeah. Um, and I've thought of that too. Right. And that's Spaces so much of- that are so tight, like, mm-hmm. is basically insinuating that everyone's going to be, like, really thin and flexible. <laughs> right. Um, I think a lot about, too, with roasting. There, I think a lot of people put barriers on roasting in terms of physical ability. Like, I want big guys or something like that. Like, Joe Morocco at the um, Stump the Roaster event mentioned that, like, even just, like, right before he did that panel, which, um, so Cafe Imports hosts this thing called Stump the Roaster, where roasters can be asked questions and talk about their roles, and he hosted one with all women, and even before he did, just right before he did that panel, he had been asked, like, hey, do you know any roasters? And Joe was like, yeah, I know plenty of men and women who are great roasters, and they were like, well, actually, we're looking for, like, big like dudes like who can just like throw around stuff wrecking ball found a really clever way around that Uh where like you know you have these big jeep bags that are like 132 pounds anywhere between 150 and 132 pounds and they created this like police carrying system where all the roaster has to do is like tie a hook i think i might be getting the mechanics of this wrong but tie a hook to the bag of coffee put it lifts it up and then you put like some sort of container on the bottom and you just cut it and all the green comes out. So you don't have to like lift these huge heavy bags. There's like a pulley system okay. because one of their like original roasters was uh-huh. like five, two and like probably like a hundred pounds. Yeah. And that was not a barrier for, uh-huh. for them. They're like, no, we'll make something else work. So mm-hmm. finding systems that can help everyone be successful because everyone can and physical limitations don't, have to be the end of someone's coffee career they shouldn't be there are ways that we can adjust Mm -hmm. um the um i was visited a roastery recently where the roaster is in a wheelchair Mm -hmm. and they made every concession to make sure that he was able to physically move around the roaster and put green coffee into the roaster there are ways to do it you just have to think critically about what you're going to do to adjust yeah which is not like that's it's really like cool. It's not this complex answer, honestly. It's very like you will find a way if you care. Yeah. Truthfully. Uh-huh. So maybe it's it's um it's like dedicating yourself to come up with creative solutions and everybody's going to be different. And if we are working with most everybody on the staff is um is pretty able-bodied. I'm wondering what just like one person who isn't as able-bodied how it would be pretty easy to move the move the flow around to accommodate that person. Mm-hmm. Thinking exactly. about someone who's like like a deaf barista or something. Oh like, yeah, there like would you be could easy make that ways. work. Yeah. There are wait, there's so many easy ways to make that work. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we write on everything or yeah. we, I don't even, I can't even learn sign language right, like, with learn them. Sign language for uh-huh. Christ's sake, like learn, like learn barista sign language so that, you know, or like yeah. maybe that person needs to be like touched on the elbow or like yeah. maybe that's not an appropriate place they want to be touched. So like right. ask them like, what is the best way to communicate with them? Right. Um, yeah. I think if you're willing to adjust your systems, then you can you can make it accessible to people. Right. You just have to be willing to have that conversation as opposed to saying like, well, this is how it's laid out and it's not accommodating for right. people with a disability. So they can't work here. Right. If your standard is like, we move back and forth in this, in this area. And like the, the person who steams milk is also the person who does dishes. So if you have um, like psoriasis or something like, well, then you just can never steam milk. Like, no, if what is what is more important, like maintaining your systems or adjusting them to be accommodating? That's a good point. So what is more important to you guys? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I haven't thought about that too much. And I kind of feel myself thinking like physical disability is in my head. I'm like, well, it's kind like somewhat of a deal breaker for being a barista. But then I'm like, no, that's not a good enough. Like, no, that's not good enough. Exactly. Idea. Um, even though it isn't like inherently physical job, mm-hmm. there are ways to make especially, accommodations. Yeah. Especially if you think critically about ways that you can adjust for that specific 
situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so even for like the deaf barista, like finding systems that make sense or, you know, for someone who maybe has some mobility limitations, like either maybe your system does change where like someone stays on a certain station for yeah. a longer period of time, or maybe yeah. that person stays on specific, like you don't have to change everything either. Yeah. Like, or there's just more of a like check-in on like, okay, like it's slow. Like, would you like to change now versus would yeah. you change every hour? Like, right, right. Cause you I could, know, yeah, exactly. There's so it, like, that's such an easy one too. It is. Like you don't have to change your shift every, or your position every hour. Maybe like, oh, it's a lull. Now we'll change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Thank you for writing that to us, Amanda. That was really important for us to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one more email that we actually got a long time ago when we first started from Adam Kohler, uh, who is in Bend, Oregon now. Um, not really a question, but just a comment. So Jasper's going to read it for us. So Adam says, it would also be cool to hear more about women's role in harvest and export of coffee. We definitely couldn't get coffee here without a woman's help. Without women's help, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's it. And he's totally right. He's mm-hmm. totally right. Did you read the SCA white paper on gender equality in coffee? It's Maybe. it's only something I read because I wrote a little bit about it um, on the Barista Magazine blog. I don't think I read it. I would recommend this to everyone. <laughs> um, so what's interesting about like women in coffee what, is that they what are... What is it again? It's, it's a SCA white, pe- white paper on gender equality or gender discrimination it's one of those two words i'm not 100 percent positive jasper's typing it in right now so we'll find out so soon um so the sca released this awesome white paper like two years ago about the roles that women generally inhabit in coffee communities and how that translates to their lack of empowerment so women are often involved in the very beginnings of the coffee cycle so they're often involved in harvest and sorting So they're the ones picking coffee cherries and they're the ones who are sorting all of your coffees. But because men are more involved in the transport and selling of coffee, Mm. they often get more of the financial reward of it. There's also cultural issues with land ownership um, and deed titles being in the name of just the man. Or sometimes like a woman could lose, if her husband dies, like the land could be passed on to like a brother or a next of kin oh. who is male. So there are, t- there's a, it goes really succinctly through each, each point. But the white paper talks a lot about how women are integral to coffee. There is no way that you get coffee without women. Absolutely not. Be it for their involvement, not on just on the farms, but also outside the farms and the communities. They're often raising families. They're often the ones who are more invested in education and community resources too. Um, but that they're not meeting, they're not getting a lot of those monetary rewards. And therefore it can be really difficult for women to see the fruits of their labor, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being I'm said, reading- that's still... Yeah, Jasper's reading it right now. Uh, According Um, to an ITC survey, which includes 15 coffee-producing countries, women compromise an average of 70% of the workforce in the fieldwork of harvesting roles, but only participate in 10% of the in-coffee trading and export roles. That's crazy. That's nuts. Right. So what does it mean to support women producers? Are they actually getting the money that you're that you're paying for the coffees? Do they own the land? How are they investing their money? Because it also this study also found that women invest more money in their communities yeah. than men do when they're given like the income from coffee. So women are more likely to invest in clinics, in education, and men are more likely to spend money like personally. Um, that's all it kind of said. Hmm. My understanding of that is that they're more likely to spend money on like consumption of alcohol, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Um, but that was my this understanding. Really of it. Well, well, but yeah, please read this in. SCA white paper. It's colorful with graphs. Ah, it's got so graphs. much information. <laughs> it's super helpful. It really opened my eyes to understanding how integral women are and how overlooked they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so. That being said, that's still something that Jasper and I probably don't know that much about because we are on the barista-facing end of coffee. So if you know female producers, if you know women who are actively involved in getting more women income for the labor that they produce, please let us know. Please make suggestions. This is something that we deeply want to know more about. 
Um, there's, there's so much that we don't know that we want, we want to feature on this podcast. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a producer from Conduras on our podcast. I believe she's coming to visit, uh, the Bay area, uh, next month. So we have to cool make that happen. Mm-hmm. But this is something that we really want to see more people kind of chime in on because we are not experts on this by any means, but we want to learn more. Yeah. Uh, what's we have one last thing that we're going to refer to, right? We're going to go to Twitter now. Okay. Let's or do go you want to wanna, Twitter? Yeah. So, um, do I have? Yeah, I have it open. I got so, to that. <laughs> uh, so Jasper doesn't know what Twitter looks like. So <laughs> I do. I, I have know. it right here. <laughs> I know. Uh, so on Twitter, um, again, this was another response to our privileges episode. Um, so thank you again for responding to this. Um, Amanda Witt uh, mentions. Uh, kind of like the duality of being able to claim certain identities at some points, but not being able, but also being able to like shun them away. So in some of the tweets that she writes, so she points out like boss barista, all the feel that your privileges episode, I started presenting more femme and my attitude went from bitchy dyke to sassy. According to the men that surrounded me at work, they never said it outright, but it was apparent in their behavior because I know that passing as straight is a huge privilege. I feel strange leveraging it just as bad about playing into it. And yes, because I don't have any other employable skills to fall back on, it's hard to pass that up. It's also (laughs) isolating because queer presenting me felt isolated when speaking to my more straight passing lady coworkers. Our conclusion about guests and industry bows were typically different because they interacted with them differently. So, you know, we kind of have like a back and forth about how to really deal with that when you can kind of choose to have your foot in an identity that is safer, even though you have an identity that is not quite as safe sometimes. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Because there are certain identities that you can't run away from. Mm -hmm. There's certain like perceptions of skin color or... Uh, of gender, obviously, for yeah. people who do present one way or the other. Yeah, um, you can't wake up one morning if you're black and be like, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm, be white today. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm feeling like I want to hide out. I want to be white today. Right? Like I'm gonna hide. I'm gonna keep it low today. But so. you can if you are a queer person. Depending on like your gender presentation, you can either like femme it up or butch it up, depending on how you're feeling. And it's terribly unfortunate that you have to consider the world's homophobia as you're picking out your outfit for the day but i totally know what you're talking about amanda yeah does that happen to you at all do you think about that when you're getting dressed in the morning yeah i do think about that i do think about that because for me i notice yes when i fem it up i'm it's like a little bit smoother when i'm interacting like it's it's more like, oh, you're a person, you're, you're like a woman and that's your gender and that's what you look like. And there, there isn't like any extra like people who are confused by it. Um, and unfortunately, like if you do, if you want to like dyke it out, <laughs> as she said, or bitchy dyke, <laughs> then you might have to like in, you might have to be a little bit of a, what's it called? Punching board? punching ball punching bag that's punching what bag. punching bag <laughs> punching board punching wall <laughs> the the thing the, punching bag. You okay um for people who don't like get how gender identity is fluid or how gender presentation is fluid that's what i mean to say how gender presentation is fluid and i i don't think i don't think amanda that it's wrong to conform with your gender if you are feeling like it's more difficult in your life to present the way you want to your like your personal health and safety i think take priority and if you if you want if you want to (laughs) like put yourself out there and express yourself i hate that i'm like having to say this but if you like if you want to prioritize expressing yourself more and realizing that you might be a target especially based on where you are for me working in a cafe in san francisco my customers don't treat me different but my customers also probably know like 
way more gay people than the average customer <laughs> right <laughs> it's not surprising other- like it's not surprising to see someone who they're like oh this person might present this way or be a different like yeah. sexual orientation everyone's like okay cool i see that here a lot yeah and i even don't present i'm not like a very butchy kind of queer person so for me androgyny is still uh overall pretty like okay with the customers but i realize that not everybody has an expression that customers are able to digest and that's not cool that's really not cool that you feel like there's a divide and that you can't talk to your other like fellow women co-workers without feeling like there's some distance between you when you're dressed in a more in a more bitchy dykey way as you put it it is interesting that she mentioned how you perceive situations differently too. Mm-hmm. So someone coming into a cafe and being like, I don't know, just like really aggressive towards like you, but not to me can be like, you could say like, oh, like that person like was really aggressive to me. I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, and that's that's really disheartening when people discredit their experiences based because they didn't experience them that way. Yeah. Or if like someone comes in and is like a certain way and you and I are both observing it. And mm-hmm. like I say like, oh, I thought that guy was like really aggressive. And you were like, I don't think he was aggressive mm-hmm. because maybe you guys share an identity together or. Yeah. yeah. You know, there. that's that's what's disheartening is that the way that you present is going to affect the way that people treat you, unfortunately. Yeah. So if you're on the other side of it, like you have to listen. Yeah. Like if someone treats you in a shitty way and doesn't treat me that same way, like who am I to say like that didn't happen to you? Yeah. I think that it's like a good thing that's worth mentioning is like there's there's not really any such thing as like dressing straight versus dressing gay because it's like there are straight women out there who who dress androgynously and that doesn't take away from the fact that they love and have relationships with men and then there are queer people who dress like talking about queer women specifically who dress like very femme and that doesn't mean that they're less of a lesbian right (laughs) than someone who dresses um more masculine so for you amanda like you dress however you need to dress and i would i would try to do your best not to feel guilty and ashamed if you're feeling like you're hiding that sucks. Like maybe, maybe then don't like, don't dress and feel like you're hiding, like dress in a way that feels like powerful and positive for you. And if people don't like, I think it's unfortunately you gotta like figure out what's going to be best for you day to day. Yeah, I agree. There are certain days where I feel like I can take on the emotional labor of like, wearing my hair down Mm -hmm. and like maybe like not wearing overalls even Mm -hmm. though sometimes i'll wear overalls and people like oh you're wearing overalls a lot and i'm like why are you commenting on what i'm wearing but there are definitely certain days where i feel like the emotional labor of like presenting the way that i want to present is is okay but it Mm -hmm. is like a it is like a value choice you're making like do i just like look like this and I know no one will say anything to me, but like, I don't, maybe don't feel my best Mm -hmm. or do I do like the other thing where I want to feel great and like, I want to do this. And like, even just thinking about your story with like wearing like the lipstick and the, and the flower in your hair. Mm -hmm. Although I, I I do admit like I won't go that far anymore because the sexualization of like anyone wearing red, red lipstick is like ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But, um, I do, I do try to think about like, what am I willing to handle and what, what does that imply? And mine is such like small potatoes based on versus like what other people have to deal with. So, yeah, I like her last tweet that says, I think us Invisiqueers need to remember to be more vocal, but how to do that without caping? And that's a good question because I don't want anyone to feel like they're invisible. And if, if you are a man who's pretty butch and gay, like you're still like a valid gay guy. And if you're a woman who's pretty femme and gay, like you're here, you're part of this. I think that being vocal is, is actually like what makes you seen and just your gender presentation shouldn't make you feel 
caped or invisible. If you like feel, you know, if you're cisgendered and if you're like, yes, I feel comfortable um, with like highly gendered things, that definitely does not negate your sexuality or make you less of a lesbian. And that's that's like a terio- terrible stereotype that that's it's really too bad if you if you internalize it because then you feel shame for being who you are and if who you are is a um femme lesbian like be a femme lesbian like that's do it you got this Mm -hmm. it can be hard though when you're in a customer service situation and it's so public facing it is it's so emotionally draining that like it makes you question like everything you're doing like why did i like why did i wear this or like why Mm -hmm. did i put this lipstick on and you're like, no, cause I wanted to, but at what cost? Yeah. Which yeah. is a bummer. But you shouldn't, you're not responsible for when shitty things happen to you. Right. And you're not responsible also for like starting the crusade either. Yeah. Like you're not responsible to be that person. Like I'm going to dress like this and like, you're all wrong for shaming me. It's like, it's okay for you to feel safe at work yeah. as well. Like it's oh, okay yeah. for you to be like, I'm not going to do this thing because the value for me to like feel safe at work and in- interact in this space in a particular way is more important than like the emotional labor I will have to do every day to fight this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, say say what you need to say to other people and they're listening ears everywhere. Yeah. There are hopefully a lot of people listening to this. So we're here <laughs> listening to you because your experiences are valid. All of your experiences are valid. Yeah. This email, I don't want to get too into specifics on this person just because this one's a little more negative. But we got an email from somebody basically being like, you know, I'm a white male customer and I just have some questions about like some of the things that you said. Um, But they weren't really questions. They were more of like comments. So like, please don't say that you are paid to be nice. Prostitutes are paid to be nice. I respect prostitution as a profession if practiced intentionally and by own choice. But a barista is actually not being paid to be nice. A better mindset is that you are paid to serve coffee in a courteous and professional manner. So, like, Mm. we got a lot of comments like that in this email, which we tried to respond to as courteously as possible. Like, you know, thank you for your comments. Like, Mm -hmm. we will consider them, you know, in our podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, Number one, I want to ask this question to all men. Because uh, we asked it in the last one, why you have to mention your penises in every argument. But, like, why does prostitution ever come up ever when you're talking about women, women's issues? I feel like I hear all this stuff all the time when I talk mm. about being nice to people mm-hmm. and them relaying it to prostitution. And I'm like, why are you bringing this up? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you sexualizing it? Mm-hmm. But secondly... that That is part of our job. Yeah, it is part nice of our job to, our to be customers. nice. You're paid to be nice. It actually is. Um, and you even because said it, like the reason a- that people come back to us isn't because I mean, part of it is we're serving them coffee. But in a, you know, in a city like San Francisco, there's lots of coffee places, not everywhere, but here there is. And, you know, the places where the baristas are nice are more popping than the places where the baristas are not nice. Right. So it doesn't um, it affects the bottom line. It affects the business. Right. And that. And the people's perception of nice versus not nice does change based on the person who's giving them that service. Mm -hmm. So you might think that like this, you know, white female barista was really nice to me, but this black female barista was maybe aggressive. That happens all the time where people so readily write off any sort of any form of like negativity from anyone of color as like aggressive or she gave me lip. She gave me lip or she gave me attitude. Brianna Walker talked about that in Mm -hmm. her episode. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yes, we are 100% paid to be nice, but at the same time, the people's perception of our niceness is so different based yeah. on what we look like. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if I'm at all in my cafe, if I'm at all like concentrating mm-hmm. and like not always looking at everyone, people are like, oh, she's being standoffish. Uh-huh. And I'm like, I just have like six drink orders and I want to get them all right because I hate mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, that happens. Yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah. I'll I'll be like spacing out and I'll be thinking about something. Uh and I've heard people say like, Oh, look at her, she's daydreaming. It's like You stop. never <laughs> say that to a dude. I ever. Am, exactly. Ever. <laughs> oh, that's so ridiculous. Yeah. Ugh. No, I hate that. Okay. I have what, one- el- what else does this guy say? Oh gosh. He was saying um, as a customer, don't ask me what I'm doing with my day because it's none of your business. 
Oh, yeah. And then he was like, talk about the coffee. I'm here to talk about the coffee. Um, I've never heard that before either. I haven't. I think that when some... I've totally... You kind of have to like read the customer, right? So if you're like, hey, what's up? How's your morning? What are you doing later? And if they're like working, you're like, that's cool. enough. You're like, right. they don't want to talk about it. So unless the, he's had particularly pushy baristas who have been insistent on what he's doing that day. Right. I'm, I'm not sure that his opinion is universal. Um, but I did think I, so I kind of practiced it. Right. So I oh, was, tell at, me. Yes. I was at my store and I, after I read this email, I was like, really like to do, am I, is it off putting when I ask someone about their day? So I started talking about the coffee, as he said, and, um, I just like dropped little lines like, Oh, Hey, like what's up coffee? Yeah, totally. Do you want this size? Yeah. To go. Yeah. This coffee is, uh, from Rwanda. It's called Karambi mountain. And they would do the like, I give zero shits about this. Yeah, look. yeah, like mouth together, like eyebrows up, like nodding, like, okay, kind of a thing. And then I tried something else, like, you know, just like filling the space, talking about the weather. People were like not that interested. And then I tried to go back to my normal, which is like, what's up? What are you doing? How are you feeling? That's when I feel more connected to people. And of course, not everybody opens up, but. Right. So more people were willing to have those conversations with you than like, Way this coffee people. is from Rwanda. <laughs> I mean, not that I don't want to talk about the coffee, but like, I need to Did know you that, that you want coffee as a fruit. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do tomorrow. Just every customer. Did you know? Coffee's a fruit, you guys. No, but that's true. And that's over and over and over. Right. I mean, and that's hard. Like as a barista, like you don't know what everyone needs, but that's the whole point of asking questions is mm-hmm. you kind of elucidate that from one or two questions you ask. Mm-hmm. And it is really easy to figure out what someone needs with like two questions. Yeah. And I was reading, um, I was either reading or listening to a podcast or I was reading like an article. It was like the two, and I was thinking about two questions because this guy wrote a, uh, an article or a podcast <laughs> about how if you go to like a bar or if you go and have an interaction with a woman who you don't know, you get the you get minimum of two questions to ask her. Like, hey, how are you? Good. Uh, do you mind if like I sit down? Like, no. Or actually, I'm saving a friend. Or like, what are you doing? Like, there's there's no reason to hit on someone or get to know someone better or like try to make a connection with someone you don't know beyond two questions was his argument. Like within two questions, you should know if someone's interested in talking to you or not. Mm. Like, and that was specifically in reference to like being at bars and like meeting women yeah um because that happens all the time too where like i could be in a situation like i'm at a bar and i'm like reading a book by myself Mm -hmm. or something and someone will try to talk to me and i like try to be as polite as i can about like oh i'm actually here to just like read my book yeah and people will just continue to ask me questions and i'm like is there so (laughs) so that's where i got the two questions i have a straight question for you all right let's go so do women go to bars with the idea of meeting men i don't do i some never women have do that? maybe probably sure but so i talked to i talked <laughs> to one of my college friends about this because i was like sometimes i just want to go to a bar with a fucking book and i have a book in my hands and i'm reading it or i live like catty corner to a bar so like just a, diagonally from my apartment and sometimes I'll go there and have a beer like while I'm doing my laundry. And like I know the bartender. So I kind of like just want to sit and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, or I just want to chill the fuck out yeah. after a long day at work. Okay. And people will just start talking. And I'm like, Bleh. And my friend was like, well, if you're at a bar, you should assume that men are going to talk to you. And I was like, why? He's like, isn't that the whole point of going to bars? And I'm like, no. Okay, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Because yeah. you can be sitting in a coffee shop or at a grocery store or at like a laundry mat. And there's not this like social idea that you're there to like meet, meet an opposite gendered person and have like a sexually charged or romantically charged conversation. And I hear a lot of women who are like, creepy dudes hitting on me at bars. So I'm just like wondering, does do all women not want to be hit on at a bar? Because I never do. But I never do. But do are, are there some women who are like, 
let's go out and flirt with men or pick up men or like date men and let's go to a bar to find them. I'm sure there are. Okay. But like, there has to be some. There has to be. But at the same time, like, it's really clear who's not. Yeah. But you should still like, it's kind of like Tinder, right? So if you're on Tinder, you want to date, but that doesn't mean you want to get harassed. It also doesn't mean you want to have sex. It doesn't mean you want a sexual relationship. It doesn't mean a lot of things. Mm -hmm. It means that maybe you just want to meet some people who are different. Who knows? So I I was using – so using that example of, like, the two-question rule, I can usually figure out in two questions, like, what a customer needs as well. So, like, hey, how are you? Good. What's going on? Nothing. Cool. Like, that's it. (laughs) I'm good. But if you want to talk more, go ahead and talk more. Like, there's just no – for for me, it's like not that hard to figure out what a customer needs. Yeah, yeah. So this whole idea of like, I wish this person would ask me about this. It's like if you want to talk about that, I am totally yeah, willing bring to talk it to up. you about it. Bring it up. Oh, you want to read it? What it's, else? What else does he does think, he say? Is this yours? Yeah. No, this is it's this is his. Okay. I thought that one was really interesting. So oh. the there's a the thing about power, power and customers. He, he writes, in his opinion, that he does not think the customer is king. If you think the customer is king, you will always be behaving like a submissive servant. A better mindset is that you and, cu- and customers are equal partners in a mutually beneficial business transaction. That would be ideal, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be great? I if would like, like it if I would it love was that. that way. But like, think about any boss you have where if you have an issue with a customer... Like, what side do they take? Probably the customers, because yeah. the customer is paying for something. Yeah. He's saying he's saying that, please don't think you have less power than a customer. I personally think you have more power. You can serve them a good or bad beverage. I would get <laughs> fired if I did that. Like, <laughs> exactly. <what the> if <laughs> <If> you like. <laughs> what if I just started serving bad lattes on purpose? Like, you were a shitty customer. Here's a bad latte. I can't control whether or not you come <laughs> in, but I can control my microphone that I didn't make. <laughs> I, what if, oh my God, what if you like, like made the milk like screech, like, like get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> what if I just burned everybody's milk? Who's like, who sucked? Yeah. I mean, like, well, ruin their perception there of are coffee forever. Who, who decaf. Right. But they never, I've never done that before. Have You've you never done that? No. I did it one time. Did they deserve it? Well, duh. I think so. Okay. So do you want to hear that story? Yes, of course I do. When the one time I decafed a customer. Okay. Family comes in, mother, father, and about three children. The oldest daughter was probably 15 or 16. And mother was nutso, just like controlling everybody. Like, they were so difficult. So they were like, what do you want? What do you want? I want this. I want this. He's going to get a lot. And then I'm going to get this. I'm going to get a a non-fat latte i'm gonna get a non-fat latte make it extra hot and then she turns to her daughter what do you want what do you want what do you want a hot chocolate hot chocolate and she was like i want a mocha and she was like you can't get a mocha do you have decaf and i was like yeah i have decaf and she was like um she was like oh yeah mocha and then mother was like decaf (laughs) to me (laughs) make her decaf um I just wasn't into that. So (laughs) I, so I made her drink a non-fat extra hot decaf latte (laughs) and I made her daughter's mocha with caffeine. 16 is old enough to drink a mocha. It was also a 16 ounce mocha. She probably wasn't going to finish it. Right. Anyway. So she comes, comes to pick it up. And I told her, I was like, Hey, it's not decaf. And she got so excited. That's really funny. I like that, like that, like nod to like, I got you, girl. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's pretty great. But that was like the one time. And I've never, I almost, <laughs> this weekend, I had an experience where I almost kicked someone out. Really? Just for being rude. I just, <sighs> so my cafe is great and I love it. And there are so many wonderful people that come in. Um, it's really small though. So people get really confused about who has ordered their coffee and who hasn't. Mm. So a lot of times, like I do have to kind of say like, I can help anyone who hasn't ordered yet. Yeah. Um, and it can be really confusing sometimes. And something that like really gets me is when like a group of friends are together and they all order 
separately, but they haven't indicated that they're all going to order something and pay separately. Oh. So, like, you're not sure if you've helped everyone, you know? So, like, three of them might order. So, there was this group of four people, and three of the friends ordered coffee, mm-hmm. but one friend was just there hanging, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I guess I got everyone. Like, maybe mm-hmm. that person didn't want coffee. Mm-hmm. But I, like did that thing again because it was really busy. I was like, I can help anyone who hasn't ordered yet. Mm-hmm. And like, I kind of looked around and the guy like starts staring at me. And I was like, oh, like, did you want something? Like, I, I wasn't sure. And I was very like apologetic because like yeah. he, his group of three friends got drinks. So like <laughs> clearly like they were capable of ordering. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't ignoring him. It's just like he didn't order with everyone else. Mm-hmm. So I just assumed he didn't want anything. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I want espresso. And he just yelled it at me. And I was like, and I and then I said, is there a problem? And he said, and it like quickly caught him like, Ooh. oh no. Oh. I was like, yeah. Like there is That's no problem a good here. One. Like if there's a problem, let's talk about it. But uh-huh. like, you're not going to be rude to me uh-huh. like that. That is a good way to call out passive, ha- passive aggressive behavior. Right. So but like at the that. same time, again, like I'll do that because like, I don't have anything. I like. I mean, I obviously have something to lose. I want to do a good job at my cafe, but mm-hmm. like, I'm the person who is in charge of stuff. Yeah. So, like, I can't imagine that a barista has that much power. So that's why, like, that inter- like that comment was kind of weird about like, actually, you have more power. Like, no, you don't. Like, a lot of baristas are scared that they might lose their jobs if they get like a bad Yelp review. Yeah. Or a lot of baristas probably don't feel like their employers will back them up if something really mm-hmm. dangerous happens to them. And then a lot of baristas just don't know that, like, you should not have to be treated this way. Yeah. I feel like a lot of it people... It is called customer service. Right. Like, so. you're serving right. the customer. Customer is not serving you. Right. Like, the customer is coming in and choosing to get coffee here. Like, you're there regardless. Like, you have to deal with anyone that walks mm-hmm. into your cafe no matter what for mm-hmm. most people that they have to just deal with everything that happens mm-hmm. so to say that like we have more power than the customers is like cute but <laughs> it's not true so thank you all so much for your emails that was it's it's really great reading them all i mean we we're so dedicated to this and we want to hear your voice and we've gotten a couple of um sound snippets which are really great uh, we're still working on um, getting an episode where we play some of those. And yeah, I just really appreciate it. It it matters so much to me when someone takes time out of their their day to listen to our voice talk about stuff. <laughs> and then when you feel like compelled to shout out or say thanks or um, come with more topics, it's just really special. So thank you so much Mm -hmm. thank you guys for listening we can't do this without you and we can't do this without you guys listening so thank you for listening and we hope to hear more from you please email us and send us your feedback good bad anything we'll take it Uh, Podcast at gmail.com it's been another lovely episode of boss barista i'm jasper wild and i'm ashley rodriguez and we'll catch you another time Goodbye.